Bonjour mes cœurs, hello my hearts, et bienvenue, welcome to the next episode of the Paris Lessons. Merci d'être là. Thank you for being here. In this episode, I'm going to answer many of the questions that I've received recently, as well as comment on a few of the comments that I've see that I've received as well. Thank you so much for sending those in. Remember that you can always send me questions at carrieann at frenchisbeautiful.com. That's C-A-R-R-I-E-A-N-N-E at frenchisbeautiful.com or C-A-2-R-I-E a 2 frenchisbeautiful.com en français, in French. So the first question that I'm going to answer is with so much to do on your plate, could you possibly expand a little more on your thoughts on how to know what to let go of or what to say no to in order to carve out the time that you need for doing what is most important to you and the time you need to protect your leisure time, this precious time that we all need. Absolutely, ma belle. And she says for her, for example, she's been trying to focus on carving out more time for her French practice, which she says makes me feel so incredibly French and inspired. I love, love, love reading that. Merci d'avoir partagé cela. Thank you for having shared that. So this is a question um, that I ask myself often because as you know, as we all do, I have quite a bit going on and it's very important for me to stay in touch with my intuition, with my soul. For when I talk about, for me, the terms intuition and soul are, are very synonymous for, for me. You know, my, I, I believe that my intuition anyway comes from a deep place inside of my soul. It's how my soul communicates to me. For me, sometimes the tricky thing is uh, is really being able to determine what is my soul speaking to me and what is a part of me speaking to me that's more um, reflecting what the outside world is expecting of me. Because, you know, like most most of us, I'm sure, listening to this, I never like to disappoint anyone. So it's very easy for me to want to quickly say yes to things that uh, meet other people's needs or meet other people's expectations, even though they might not be aligned with my soul. So I do very much believe that the only way that we can really be in communication with our soul and with our body is by giving ourselves some quiet time by giving by making sure that we're rested we we might actually be much more exhausted than we realize if your body is telling you that it's tired please carve out the time to rest if you've taken any of my l'art de vivre courses you know how much I value rest thanks to living in French culture and realizing how much French people value rest. We know when we're doing, when we're saying yes to things that we really don't want to say yes to, we know by this sort of feeling of resistance in our bodies. We know by this sort of feeling of resistance that might feel like it's in our mind, but it's probably, you know, sitting more in our in our heart, more connected to our soul. The problem is that 
between being exhausted, between you know, having a lot of thoughts that are more related to what the outside world expects of us rather than thoughts connected to our soul. We have so many layers that cover that really, 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 really deep seed within us that tells us what we want to say yes to and what we want to say no to. So that's why my my best recommendation for this is to carve out some space to, you know, really give yourself some quiet time. Maybe you need to meditate. Maybe you need to just, you know, write your thoughts down and see them on paper in order to really understand what your soul's trying to tell you. And also rest. I've found when I'm more rested, um, when I've spent some time just with myself on my own, like this last trip was so great for that, then I really become clear on what direction my soul wants me to go in. Now, you don't need to take a, a week off by yourself. You can do this in a, for example, on a Sunday afternoon. Sundays are wonderful for this. But I really do believe that we need calm in order to understand what we should say no to or let go of. And it's very important that we have a clear understanding of what those things are because it takes oftentimes a leap of faith. It takes a certain amount of courage to then act on that because oftentimes what we want to let go of or say no to might let someone down. It might be misaligned with how our outside world sees us. Also, here's some wonderful Italian inspiration. Ever since I really got became connected with my Italian journey, there has been serendipity surrounding it nonstop. I've been meeting so many Italians here in Paris. I met a wonderful Italian gentleman last night, the owner of De Carmine. It's a very lovely pizzeria in the 9th arrondissement, D-E and then C-A-R-M-I-N-E. So I was speaking with Carmine himself, the owner And he's an older gentleman, and he shared with me that he felt, uh, you know, for him, the key to being successful and also enjoying his life was focusing on the future, but being always a little more focused on today. And I thought that that was so profound. Because oftentimes, if I've fallen into the trap of saying yes to something that really I don't want to say yes to. It's generally related to that in some way. For some reason, I might think there's going to be a future payoff and I'm willing to sort of sacrifice my feelings today in order to to have that payoff, which I may or may not have in the future because let's be honest, tomorrow is very unpredictable. And now, of course, we have to plan for the future and that's what he was saying. He's always, you know, thinking about the future and thinking about today, but being a little more focused on today. And for me, that translates as, you know, being focused on how you feel now. So that's something that I'm going to take forward with me in helping me to decipher what I should say no to or let go of and what I should give a big resounding yes to and lean into. And in doing so, preserving that precious time, that quiet time that I need for myself to just recenter and rest and also reflect and dream. 
Merci, ma belle. Thank you, my beauty. I received another really wonderful comment uh, from someone who shared that she's struggled her entire life with her weight and that the episode on eating for pleasure was a very, very reassuring one for her. Thank you so much for sharing this with me. This means very much to me. Um, there are a few really important people in my life who've struggled with their weight their entire life as well. It's been very impactful for me to see this lovely French way of living with food where French people, especially French women, will just totally acknowledge when they're eating for pleasure and not deprive themselves of that. And that completely avoids the sort of yo-yo type dieting, which is so unhealthy and not and not successful and not fun that I see more in particularly American culture. So if this speaks to you, be sure to check out that episode. Next, two questions from a listener. When I was in Paris, I did not see women carrying these large Louis Vuitton, Louis Vuitton bags we see everywhere in the States. What do you carry your books to read at a cafe in? Most photos show women carrying very small bags. I love this question. You will rarely see a French woman wearing anything with a label on it in general, which would include a huge Louis Vuitton bag, which is sort of ironic because we get, you know, Louis Vuitton is French. We could easily picture that, you know, women here in Paris are carrying those big Louis Vuitton bags all the time. But no, French women, any sort of bag that where the logo is all over the bag, you won't see that here at all. And the way, the way that I think of that is, you know, French women refuse to be a walking advertisement for anything outright. You know, what I mean by that is wearing the logo. And as I've talked about before in some of my L'Art de Vivre classes, and I think I touched on it in last week's episode when I talked about traveling light, you know, it's never really chic, nor is it pleasant to be completely encumbered by tons of things. So French women are really great about just having whatever they need with them and nothing more. French women do tend to carry very small purses here. When I go out, I always have a very small purse. When I go to the Sorbonne, for example, I have a separate, I have two bags that I use. Uh, one is a very sort of uh, discreet black backpack that I love. I find that's a little more chic than trying to cram everything into a shoulder bag. Or I have a really lovely um, sort of um, caramel colored briefcase that I take when I'm in more of a camel type color scheme. But again, and I, I tend to use that, I carry it with I carry it with the handles, not with the shoulder strap. But I only take that when I don't really have a lot of things that I need to bring with me. So maybe just a couple of books and a couple of notebooks because it's not chic, but more importantly, it's not comfortable to just have tons of things with me. What I will do and what a lot of French women do is they'll have one of those tiny cloth tote bags with them in their purse in case they do their grocery shopping on the way home. Or I have that in my backpack, for example, in case I decide to go grocery shopping or go to the bookstore on my way home. If I'm just going to a cafe in the neighborhood to read, I'll have my small purse and I'll just carry my book in my hand. And that's it. 
There's no real reason to have a huge bag with you, at least here, all the time. Now, when you need an umbrella, it becomes a little bit more problematic. So, for example, I was out last night and I did the tiny tote bag thing so that if I wasn't using my umbrella, I could just have the umbrella in a tote bag on my shoulder. And I have a, a I have tote bags in a variety of colors because you know businesses love to create tote bags and put their names on them for advertising. So I have a nice little collection. I have one that's black that I use when I go out at night if I'm you know wearing my black wool coat. So then I feel sort of more chic, not like I'm just like out with a tote bag, my purse and my tote bag. So I hope that that helps. And I think it's chic to walk around in a book with a book in your hands, as I said. So or put put a book in your pocket. Sometimes I put my book in my coat pocket when I'm just going to go sit in a cafe and read. Next question, which is sort of related to the question that I opened the podcast with. Um, how do you manage to appear to have time to relax and take care of yourself? It may be a, a mirage, but you make everything seem so effortless. Can we get a peek into what your day really looks like? So there's two very important words in this question appear and mirage. Uh, so it's not, it's not a mirage. However, always keep in mind, uh, you know, with everything that you see on social media, that you're, you're just seeing a tiny bit of what's going on without all of the exact details. Um, and also this other, there's another word in here that's very, very, very important, effortless. So no matter what you see on social media, Always remember that there's effort involved. Or no matter what you read in a blog or no matter what you hear in a podcast, there's always, 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 always effort involved. And that might, and now effort doesn't have to be torturous. Effort doesn't have to be the sort of absolutely exhausting level of effort. It doesn't have to be physical effort. Sometimes it can be mental effort. There's a lot of mental effort behind everything that I do. And, you know, aside from just, you know, the mental effort needed to study and to be, to be, you know, the most engaging French teacher I can be and to come up with the, the most inspiring ideas I can come up with and be the best friend I can be and also, you know, be the best friend of myself I can be, so to speak. There's a great mental effort that I spend when it comes to being organized and planning. And that really enables me to do everything that I do with a lot of, with, with a greater sense of freedom and a greater sense of joy, which translates to it feeling effortless. So I think that part of that effortlessness that you're perceiving in, in what I'm sharing on social media and what I'm sharing in, in the newsletters and everything and on the podcast, it's probably that energy that's connected to the, the level of organization that I do everything with. I'm very, 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 very organized. Everything is in my calendar when it comes on my iPhone, whether it's a, a shopping list, whether it's an email I need to send or a phone call I need to return or a class I need to be at or a first draft of a paper that I want to have due because I know that the due date is in, you know, the, the week after that. And that's something that that's me taking a page out of the notebook of French women. This is something that I touch on a lot in French confidence. And also there's that wonderful Colette quote, 
you know, I can, I'm paraphrasing, but I can only, you know, really create in, in, um, you know, when, when everything is in order. And that is so true for me because I started to observe myself, especially when I went back to school, because, you know, obviously at that moment, a year and a half ago, my schedule went from being busy, went, be, went from being full. I don't really like that word busy. I never strive to be busy. I actually avoid being busy because being busy to me is sort of being less intentional than I would like to be. And when you're busy, it does feel very effortful. And a busy person, you can see all the effort and everything they're doing, right? So when, when I went back to school, my schedule went from being full to being very full. And I knew that the, and going back to school has been absolutely wonderful for pushing me to that really high level of organization, but also as connected to how I started this podcast, really, uh, inspiring me to, to examine everything that I'm engaged in, how I feel around it and and whether or not I feel really connected to it. I love my studies so much. I love teaching so much. I love creating content so much. I love writing so much. I love taking photos so much. I love making videos so much. I'm really, really, really clear on what I love making and and what I love doing and what I love thinking about so much. And I'm also very clear on on what nourishes me so much, what relationships nourish me so much. I'm very great now at listening to my body and observing my mind. So listening to my body, knowing when I'm exhausted, listening to my mind, observing my mind, observing when something's a little bit off, when I'm starting to feel, when I'm starting to have busy-like thoughts, for example, instead of just really focused, really action-oriented thoughts. So that effortlessness, again, just to conclude, I think comes from my level of organization. It also comes from the deeper connection that I have now to, you know, what really lights me up and, and, and what activities are connected to what I'm meant here to do. You know, sometimes it's easy to, as I said earlier, to get, to say yes to things that sound great because they might, they might carry a certain image with them, or they might be in line with a certain image of, of us that's being reflected to us by the outside world, but they might not be connected to what our strengths are or what we're really meant to do here. So that's how I do that's one of the reasons that I'm able to do everything that I do and do it in a way um, that has more of an effortless vibe to it. But again, there's a great amount of mental effort, the planning and the organization and the sort of sifting through the things um, that, I, that, I, that my soul is connected to and that my soul isn't connected to. And again, it's... Also, to always keep in mind that anything that you see on social media is, you know, always just, just part 
of the picture. Um, so it's definitely not, it's not a mirage in my case, but, um, you know, if you could see, I'm looking right now over at the, I have a little side table next to my big table where I work and I have this, my latest list. I love making lists. And then from there I sift through that and I feel through which items really light up my soul or not. And I feel through which things would really be beneficial for all of you or not. And then from there, I start to put things into my planner. Et voilà. Merci, ma belle. Thank you, my beauty. Next question. This is about French communication. This is a great question. I have a question about the style in which the French communicate. I was recently at a dinner with French relatives, and they seemed to play this unfriendly game of questioning my feelings and opinions on every subject. It was like a game of ping pong, and I had to defend everything I said. As an American, I'm not looking to be so aggressive. If I don't like something, why do they feel... And, and I'm, star I'm, I'm starting to chuckle. I'm not at all laughing at this question. I'm, I'm laughing because I can absolutely picture this situation, and I totally understand it, and I've been there, and I'm so excited to answer this question. Uh, why... <clears throat> If I don't like something, why do they feel like they have to take the other side of an argument? Do the French enjoy arguing? Why? I have had this experience in Paris too with total strangers at museums and restaurants and the post office. Can you explain their philosophy to me? I'm exasperated by this. Thank you. This is amazing. Again, there are some key terms in this question. What stands out to me is unfriendly game, aggressive arguing, and philosophy. Okay, so I'm going to help you with this. This is a, this is a cultural, the, the cultural wires are, are being misfired here. And this is something that I have completely experienced myself. And I had the same impression myself before, you know, when I didn't understand French culture as well. And when I hadn't gone to the Sorbonne and understood more what their educational background was. So first things first, it's not unfriendly, but it is sort of a game to them. And it feels aggressive as an American receiving it, but it's not meant to be aggressive as a French person doing it. So it's really meant to, it's really just sort of, they're, they're engaging you in a conversation that feels like an argument to an American. So the French are highly trained in rhetoric. They, they are throughout their whole career as students. P.S. This is a lot, all of my papers. This is, this is the core of so much of what I'm doing at the Sorbonne. I'm studying philosophy, but you know, when I say I have these exams, when I say I'm writing these papers, for example, the question in Philo, in Philo Friday, this week, um, you know, to love someone, do we have to know them? So the way that I would respond to that in an exam setting would be sharing my thoughts, which would be, or sharing my opinion, which would be my argument, my argument in French, in French language, that's what we would call it. And then detailing the support or the backup for that argument. And they're, this is how they are taught to write and analyze subjects 
you know, in high school. It starts, it starts very, very early. So this is, they, they love this. They're, they're trained in this. This is sort of, this is, this is why they, they talk about politics a little more. They can talk about politics a little more freely here than people can in the States. It doesn't necessarily become as argumentative or as passionate as quickly as it does in the States. So what I, what I perceive on the flip side as an American not having had this sort of training and rhetoric growing up is that we take our opinions very, very personally because we haven't had this experience of breaking them down logically. And we haven't had this experience over and over again in school of having to defend our opinions to the point that it becomes sort of a game and we become more, uh, I guess, callous to it or less sensitive to this idea of, you know, someone asking me to, to defend my opinion to, pardon me, we, it's harder for us as Americans when someone asks us to defend our opinion, to simply see that as this, um, as this fun exercise in logic, as an opportunity to continue to express our thoughts. So that's what's happening when a French person does that. Part of it's this game of rhetoric, but also they're just asking you to further express yourself. They're not attacking you. They're not saying you're wrong. Um, they're really just, they're making conversation, but in a way that can feel very aggressive to an American. It used to make me crazy, but now I understand it. And I've gotten a lot better at defending my arguments to the point where now it's a skill that I have and so I enjoy doing it. So if someone asks me why, I'm, I'm much more ready than I used to be. But also, you know, I've been living in French culture and with French culture for many, many years now, so I just don't take it as personally. However, as I said, in the States, we take our opinions very, 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 very personally because we haven't been trained. We haven't had a, as much practice in this sort of just, you know, breaking them down and, and being a little more removed from, re removed from our opinions, if you will. We have, we have, we don't have much, there's not much distance between our hearts and our opinions our minds and our opinions, whereas this exercise of having to break down your opinion or your argument and defend it puts some distance between yourself and your opinion, the French way. Well, I hope that, it, that that answers your question, and I hope that the next time you find yourself in this situation, you'll be able to, to relax a little bit and, and take it less personally. Next, we have a comment that I want to comment on. This is from a lovely, lovely listener who recently started my Basics for Beginners French self-study program. She shares, I love France and have always been a bit disappointed with myself for not being able to understand the language aside from a few basic words. During my past couple of trips there, Everyone was very encouraging about my attempts at speaking, and I'd like to be able to actually deserve their positive comments. I've learned some words with some apps, which is helpful, but it doesn't give you as much help with pronunciation as you need. I've been practicing the week one pronunciations, and I feel like I'm doing pretty well. 
I love this comment. Thank you so much for sharing this with me. And she says, merci for the wonderful course. Merci à vous, ma belle. Thank you, my beauty, for being one of my students. So I just wanted to highlight a couple of things here, the words that stand out to me, that, that she's disappointed with herself and that she wants to deserve French people's encouragement. So first of all, if people are encouraging you, know that, you, that you're already there. They're encouraging you because you do deserve it. And when it comes to being disappointed with yourself, I'm going to touch on this more um, towards the end of the podcast, but when we're learning anything, we expect it oftentimes to be this very quick transition from not knowing to knowing. And I think that that's why we can oftentimes become so disappointed with ourselves because we're not quite ready for it to be such a process. In the Allegory of the Cave by Plato, he touches upon this idea of this turning away from lack of knowledge to turning towards knowledge, right? And that's the process of education, this turning. It's not a shift, it's a turn. So be kind to yourself and remember this the next time you might feel disappointed in yourself that things, it's not even just a matter of, you know, knowledge, going from lack of knowledge or less knowledge to more knowledge. It's not even just that it's not something that happens overnight, but it's a process. It's a turning. Really picture this turning, and hopefully that will help you to be more gentle with yourself. Next comment. So this is someone who, she just finished the, the Being Yourself the French Way course. And she said, I'm taking the whole day off today, which is something I never do unless I'm sick and it's Sunday and I'm just going to think and reflect and rest and plan. I haven't even done my hair or makeup and I've only left my bed for coffee. This is something I always imagine doing on a Sunday, but I never do it because I feel irrational guilt around it. Irrational guilt is a concept um, that... Um, that I created for the Being Yourself, the French Way course. So in that course, I encourage students to keep a, a journal of irrational guilt all the times that they feel guilty for things that are just irrational, like not taking the time that you need to rest. She says, it's not easy making the changes we really need sometimes, but I feel the change is coming. Je prends ma place. And that's another, that's one of the, the meditations. So this is I'm je prends ma place. It's like I'm taking I'm taking my place. It also kind of means I'm, I'm finding my place. I'm finding my place in the world, if you will. And that's something that my wonderful, wonderful, wonderful Parisian therapist helped me with when I was working with her a couple of years ago. This idea of you know taking your place, feeling centered because you found your place in the world, or you've simply claimed it. A lot of times we might feel a little bit off center or a little bit lost, but it's because for whatever reason, we're feeling irrational guilt when it comes to claiming our place. So brava, ma belle. Well done, my beauty. Thank you for sharing this 
with me, and I'm sure that your words will inspire many of the people listening to really claim their place and take that time, create that time that they need to enjoy just time with them, with 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 their soul, with themselves, be it on a Sunday or any other day. Next. So these are responses that I received uh, to Philo Friday, which was so exciting for me, The all of these messages, because obviously I love philosophy, and I was so touched when I shared a recent philosophical question in the newsletter by the many of you who responded to it. So thank you, thank you for all of your responses. I'm just going to share three here. So the question was, to love another do we have to know them? And these are really wonderful to consider because, again, with most of these philosophical questions, there's no right or wrong answer. And that's why it's so important in philosophical training to be able to support your answer, right? To be able to défendre votre argument, to defend your argument, your argument, we would say in French, or your your position, if you will. So the first one. I think to answer the question properly, love should be defined first. So this is wonderful because this is actually what we do in philosophy. We would first define the terms within the question, which of course has been a challenge for centuries. In my opinion, there are as many different definitions of love as there are human beings. The debate can go on forever and no one will even be wrong. A short answer to a, to a complicated question for me is, yes, one can definitely love another without knowing them. In fact, it is rather easy to love someone without knowing them, our own ideas projected and embodied. On the other hand, it requires so many qualities to love and continue to love another being that we know well. I could go on, but must leave here and soak in the sun and fresh air. Thank you, Mabel, for that share. Next one. We can only know another as much as we are open to seeing them clearly and as clearly as they feel safe to authentically let their light shine for all to see. After childhood, there are many layers of judgment that we need to shed in order to share ourselves with another. Merci, ma belle. And the next and last one, as a mother, I'm very clear that I fell in love with my son well before he made his appearance in this world. Okay, maker. So, next, this is our last question. This is a, a very, very, very rich question. This is from someone who's taken one of my L'Art de Vivre courses. She's specifically referring to French confidence. So I will just simply read what she sent in. This paragraph from French confidence. When we try to decide who we are or decide to be unapologetically who we are, I talk a lot about being unapologetically oneself in French confidence. We put so much, or rather, my, my thoughts on my thoughts on that word unapologetically, because since moving to Paris, it doesn't really make any sense to me, this idea of being unapologetically oneself. 
We put so much pressure on ourselves. An opinion becomes an identity. A gesture becomes a character trait. A decision becomes part of our personality. Reread that last phrase. Consider areas where you may be putting unnecessary and grossly unpleasant pressure on yourself. So she writes, this paragraph is everything. I would be so interested to hear your feelings surrounding the idea of creating yourself in the self-help industry. I will be very honest with you here that I actually feel that the particular ideas I've been listening to may have actually been impacting me in the exact opposite way to which I was hoping. As I have shared with you before, the reason I have turned to self-help is that I've been looking to bring more calm into my life for a couple of years now. Like so many of us, I feel I am constantly busy trying to create a lovely life that I am actually too tired to enjoy any of what I have created and feel generally burnt out. I started following a self-help coach on social media, and they are all about creating yourself, creating your thoughts, creating your emotions. I started to put these ideas into practice to move away from my current self and create the slower, calmer, more joyful version of myself who I want to be. However, as time has gone on, I've actually felt increasingly like I'm completely pushing, going against myself and my feelings in order to create myself and started to feel so frustrated that I couldn't do this on a more consistent basis. I would wake up being so focused on being a certain way. And when I didn't feel that way or act that way, I would then guilt myself for it until the next day. And then the pattern would start again. I feel as though this idea of creating who you want to be, and also this idea that your thoughts can't be trusted come from a place of great positivity, but have actually been really hurtful to my soul. This course from Being Yourself the French Way and the above quote has hit me like a ton of bricks. I honestly feel like such a weight has been lifted from me and I am putting so much less pressure on myself. I feel so free and like I can actually feel all the emotions, all of them, and be who I am and therefore stop having to fight them. The other part of this that has really made me think differently is the importance of the questions that we are asking ourselves under all the thinking that we do. I'm beginning to see that under most of my thinking lies the question, am I doing well enough? Am I a good enough mom? Am I good enough to learn to speak French? Is my house good enough? Is my wardrobe good enough? Do I, do I look after myself well enough? Do I eat and drink too much? So here, now I'm interjecting, this student is referring to, there's a series of questions, there are some exercises in being yourself, the French way that I lead you through. This wonderful way of really observing the questions that you're asking yourself that are the, the motor, if you will, behind a lot of the, this irrational guilt. I would be so interested in your thoughts, taking this further, on once you have identified the questions you're asking yourself, what you can do next. So this is so wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing this, Mabel. You touch on some very important points um, that, and I absolutely relate to everything you're saying. I've been there and... You know, really watching French women, living in French culture has helped me so much. Also studying philosophy has helped me so much 
with this because it's really helped me to embrace who I am as a whole and to place more value on the questions that I'm asking myself more on than on seeking the answers. So the first question when it comes to, you know, creating yourself and personal development, there's an interesting thing that, um, that's part of personal development today. And it's very much tied to how personal development is marketed. So it makes a lot of sense. If you felt like you were, you know, in in trying to sort of create a new self, you felt like you were going against yourself. Well, this makes perfect sense, especially because the way a lot of personal development programs are marketed, um, it's sort of like, sometimes you have to be really discerning because sometimes it's less about giving you tools to be your best self and more about giving you tools to be like the self that you see, um, that you see embodied in the coach, basically. So we can often fall into this trap of actually following a particular self help or personal development program which is in the trap is that it's less about us being our best selves or us being, you know, really aligned with our souls and more about us being like this coach that we admire. And there's, there's nothing bad or abnormal in that. It's, it's very, very human and it all comes from a wonderful place. But I think that's why many people, when it comes to self-help or personal development, fall into the struggle, which you described so, so well, brava, well done, of ultimately feeling like you're not being true to yourself. So there's that. And then also to take this a step further, when you've really begun to identify the questions that you're asking yourself, what to do then? So to unfold this a little bit, for example, let me, let me take the questions that you've uncovered that you're asking yourself. Uh, let's look at, let's look at, am I, am I, am I good enough to learn, to learn to speak French? Okay. So what do I see in this question? This is, this might mean that somehow you might be comparing yourself to others. Maybe you feel like people need to have a certain level of talent to learn another language. Maybe you doubt your level of intelligence, right? Maybe you attach a certain kind of importance to, or a certain, a certain image or a certain energy to a version of yourself that you see speaking French. So that could maybe be translated as confidence or freedom or someone who's really admired or someone who's very chic, only you'll you will really be able to know what it is for you based on your own life experience. This is a wonderful thing to write about or to, you know, take yourself on a long walk and think about. And when you really, really get down to the alchemy of it, whether be it, you know, you you see a woman who speaks French as someone who's really admirable or someone who has a lot of freedom because she could, you know, travel to France and speak French or someone that's you know, super, super smart, whatever, whichever one of those qualities it is, then, then, my belle, you just need to tell yourself that because you're seeking that, 
you already have that within you. That's just your soul reaching for more. So you are admirable. You are super intelligent. You are free. You are chic. And that that question that you're asking yourself, let that question bring you back to yourself rather than take you somewhere where you feel like you need to create a new self. D'accord, okay? And a question like, do I look after myself enough? Well, a question like this, how would I break this down? Do I look after myself enough? So first of all, I would say to myself, am I comparing myself to someone else? So has this question popped up because a friend of mine or someone I follow on social media seems to look after themselves all the time and be always relaxed and always, always, you know, whatever it is, fill in the blank for you, whatever looking after oneself looks like for you. So if you've caught yourself comparing yourself to someone else, wonderful, because now you can let that go. Or are you asking yourself this question, or, or if it was me, am I asking myself this question because, because I'm really insecure about it, because I really do feel like deep down my soul is telling me that I don't. Sometimes I know when I'm not looking after myself enough because it doesn't show up as me feeling like I'm not looking after myself enough. It shows up as me just being a little bit a little bit resentful towards towards maybe something that I've said yes to when in reality I love that thing I've said yes to, but it's just that I feel like it's taking me away from myself. I said yes at the wrong time. And in that way, it'll lead me back to knowing that actually right now, I'm not looking after myself enough. And that leads me to my, my last comment on this. Remember that the answers to these questions are not forever answers, just as these questions are not forever questions. So case in point, maybe I'm not looking after myself enough right now, right? Maybe I'm eating too much right now. So this ties in nicely with, leaving, with living with food the French way. That's okay. Maybe it's les fêtes. Maybe it's the holidays. Maybe I just had a, had a birthday party and, and uh, a work apéro in the same week. Who knows? But none of these are forever questions. None of these have forever answers. Therefore, but one of the greatest gifts that philosophy has given me, aside from the ability to argue anymore in a more indifferent way, is this uh, shedding of light on the importance of the questions that we ask ourselves and being more comfortable with the fact that not only are there very few finite answers, but few answers are forever answers. So I hope that that helps you. And remember this, this turning motion when I talked about Plato's The Allegory of the Cave earlier. When we go from less knowledge to more knowledge, right? Or in this case, looking for the question to finding the question, and then finding the question and trying to unfold the many possible answers. Think of this gentle turning motion. 
you're connecting with your soul, you're guiding it, you're turning it, you're turning it to whatever kind of, whatever kind of information, whatever kind of answer it's seeking, whatever it's trying to tell you. Et voilà mes cœurs. And there you go, my hearts. Merci d'être là. Thank you for being here. Je vous embrasse très, très fort. I send you a very, very big kiss. Et je vous souhaite une très belle semaine. And I wish you a very beautiful week. <laughs>